Welcome to another uh, episode of Indiana Politics with Deb Chubb. And I am very excited to be back here again with Destiny Scott Wells. Um, she is an attorney in Indiana and has uh, worked in the attorney's, uh, attorney general's office as well as the uh, corporate council office of the city of Indianapolis. I think I'm getting that right. Good. Okay. But we are here today to talk about um, Senate Bill 1. Uh, and that is the For the People Act that is being uh, discussed in the Senate uh, committees, uh, you know, going on a couple of days ago, still going on. And we are especially interested because our own Attorney General, Todd Rokita, um, uh, was um, you know, allowed to testify uh, in these Senate committees and, um, and brought out some interesting information uh, that we really want to talk about. So first, uh, Destiny, thank you for being here with us. Thanks for having me. Great. Um, and uh, I want to ask you first to give us a little history of the voting rights 1965 and then ensuing cases that really chipped away at their effective at the effectiveness of that act. And then we'll start and then we'll talk about the new bill. Okay. So in 1965, there was the Voting Rights Act, and that caused states to have to get federal preclearance if they were to change their voting rights. And that was because they were having a disproportionate impact on communities um, based upon race or economic status. And that was done away with in 2013. So I like to, I like to lead 2013's case up with a couple of cases because we feel like we've seen this large change in, in accessibility to voting in the last couple of years. Why is that? Well, there's been a host of litigation that's kind of caused that. And so in 2008, the state of Indiana um, was in front of SCOTUS and SCOTUS found this, the Supreme Court of the US found that Indiana could keep its voter ID laws. Those voter ID laws were challenged. And so Indiana is actually the first state to enact an, a, a voter ID law. And now we see that in, I believe 34 states across the United States. And that case was Crawford v. Marion County. And the Supreme Court said that the state had an interest in preventing fraud, even though it burdened the poor and it burdened um, the old. Interesting in that is in the lead up to that case, so in all the litigation up to the Supreme Court, the state of Indiana never presented any evidence of actual voter fraud. And that was what was kind of quirky about this case is that the Supreme Court found in favor of the government, even though the government really didn't show any injury. And so that case was 2008. Then in 2010, we have Citizens United. Citizens, Citizens United, another Indiana connection. Wow, Indiana, <laughs> Indiana has a lot of involvement in this. It was started by a Terre Haute lawyer named Jim Bopp. He didn't argue it in front of the Supreme Court. But what happened uh, was more dark money was allowed into, into our politics after Citizens United. So we kind of opened up the floodgates of this money that we really can't track down. It's ran through packs and shell companies and really there's there's foreign involvement in this money so we have now we have Crawford in 2008 and we have Citizens United in 2010 now we're up to 2013 in the case that you mentioned Deb that's Shelby counter uh, Shelby County v Holder 
And that's what gets rid of the federal preclearance process, the 1965 Voting Rights Act introduced. And we've seen since then that dis, um, that communities have been affected um, disproportionately. Black communities have seen their polling places closed. I think some thousand polling places have closed. And it used to, you know, if you were a certain state, you would have had to get that approved by the federal government. And so what did that do? That just really, um, you know, dissuaded governments from any any bad behavior, any behavior that where they were trying to manipulate the voting rights process. And that was done away with because the court decided that the standards that were found in 1965, that it had been, you know, so many years afterwards and that it was no longer relevant, kind of like racism almost didn't exist anymore. And so that leads us up to HR1. That's great. And so um, thank you. That excellent, um, excellent history on all of that. And, and it's true. And we've seen state by state enacting more and stranger um, sort of requirements for voting and, you know, registering and voting. And as you said, uh, closing polling places, making it more difficult to vote uh, in many ways. Uh, and, and so then in 2020, um, you know, we had an election um, that was so bizarre. And uh, because of COVID, uh, we had all kinds of uh, very short-term temporary changes in voting laws. And we saw a more mail-in voting um, allowed um, because of COVID, people couldn't get to the polls, um, but we saw a lot more than that. And so um, I, one of the reasons I think this HR1, S1 is so important is because in 2020, you know, had we not had this expanded access to the polling place, and had we not had local election officials who stood their ground in, in the face of extreme harassment, uh, intimidation, and threats by the federal administration, uh, had we not had uh, a cybersecurity gentleman uh, working for the administration who, uh, who, who was, wasn't afraid to say, yes, we had a clean election. Uh, and then get fired for it. You know, had we not had local officials in Georgia who couldn't have withstanded this serious uh, threat and intimidation to find another 11,780 votes uh, for Trump, you know, we'd be looking at having Trump again. He came frighteningly close to winning again. I know we're all, you know, giddy that that didn't happen, but you know, we weren't that far away from it happening. And so, uh, so this is why this bill is so important because we saw after that election um, an immediate response among state legislatures to quickly tighten up the ability to access the polling place. Uh, and particularly for people of color, people in urban areas, people who are lower income. Um, because those people uh, vote for Democrats. And frankly, the cases that are going to the Supreme Court to support these sorts of voting, uh, new voting restrictions are openly saying, well, yeah, we're doing this because we know if we don't, then Republicans won't win. I mean, that is really the headline in the newspaper as a quote from their attorney. So, you know, so we need to be very clear about the situation in which we live. So, um, so a, uh, Senate Bill 1 has a, a number, a lot of stuff in it. So um, it, uh, first it's going to um, address 
access to the polls. It's going to address dark money in, um, in uh, campaigning. It's going to address uh, ethics among politicians, particularly financial ethics. Um, and I like what you say. Um, and it's going to, oh, and of course, very importantly, it's going to address gerrymandering. So, and I like what you say when you say, you know, we are living in an era of the trifecta of, of one party control and, main, and their ability to continue control of the government. And that is dark money, uh, as you mentioned, gerrymandering and voter suppression. So those are the three um, issues that people need to keep in mind when we are talking about how to reform election laws. So, uh, so and tell us if you'd like to give us more background about um, uh, the For the People Act, terrific. But I really want you to talk about the uh, Senate hearings that are happening now, um, our, our state attorney general, um, Justified and frankly was just you know the kind of the patsy for <laughs> for um, uh, um, affirming whatever uh, a Republican senator said that was just outlandish and bizarre. So tell us tell us about more about the bill and tell us uh, your take on those Senate committee hearings. Okay, yeah, we can just jump in on the Todd Rakita part because <laughs> it's so interesting, doesn't he? <laughs> Um, but why was it in front of the Senate last week? Well, uh, it started out HR one in 2019 and it passed upon, um, on party lines, but it didn't get a hearing in the Senate. So this year, like you've noted COVID, it just presents this perfect opportunity to show that voting rights can be expanded more access to the, to the polls or the, the idea of the polls. Um, is not a bad thing and it can be done a great state to look to uh, and how it was done is uh, Michigan and Michigan uh, Secretary of State was part of um, the, the panel that was heard last week and so it's it's in the Senate and Todd Rakita as Indiana Attorney General he showed up to testify and he said a, a lot of things uh, not necessarily true. So we can just jump jump right in uh, yeah, <laughs> on what he talks about. Um, so he gives about five minutes of testimony, and he uh, his his theme is that it should be more about voter confidence in the process, right? So this is kind of the equivalent of like setting a house on fire and then showing up with the, the water, right? <laughs> like we didn't have anything to do the Republican Party with destroying voter confidence, but it is of the utmost important now that we conduct ourselves in a way that um, that gives voters confidence. their lives. Yeah. So... We're going to lie, and then we want to change the law to support that lie. <laughs> right. And so he he doesn't, again, he talks about voter fraud, and he loves um, to hold up his, um, his 2008 Secretary of State voter ID implementation, and that's part of what he talks about, and he's followed up, up by... Senator John Ossoff, who's new to the Senate, but fillets him like he's been in the Senate for a really long time. And, um, and Rakita gets upset and interrupts. And it was, it was a little bit of nice theater to watch, especially uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar uh, chewing her pretzels and kind of side eyeing the, the whole thing. 
<laughs> and then uh, throughout the hearing, uh, A.G. Rakita is called upon for, for some more testimony. He puts out a, a lot of other misinformation and he ends with um, being, like you said, the patsy for, for Senator Cruz. And they put on a lot of testimony that is um, just quite frankly, not true. So um, I love the part. Um, yeah, uh, so it was just, they would just instruct um, Rokita. They'd say, okay, I'm going to ask you a number of questions. Just give me a yes or no. And of course that means give me a yes. So, uh, and it was these, you know, creating these um, scenarios of, you know, uh, from Senator Cruz that, um, okay, so this is going to allow, um, you know, criminals and non-citizens to vote, right? And then, you know, you know, Senator uh, Rokita said, yes. <laughs> right. So, and tell, tell us the story about, I love this because um, Rokita brings up this um, example of a woman he knows from Mexico and the voter ID law that is required there. Tell us a, the, that story. I love that. So back to his voter, his voter ID law and, and why it's so great and why it's needed to prevent impersonation at the polls, which like there's no evidence of impersonation at the polls. Uh, he always, this is, I've heard him say this before. And so he says it in front of them that, you know, he talked to a woman who um, it sounds like she's a Mexican national um, or a dual citizen and that she holds up her voter ID card that she's been supplied by the Mexican government. And so this is a, this is a um, very technologically advanced card, biometrics, data, fingerprint, hologram, um, and the, and, and, and more things on it. But the thing is, is that it's a federally ran program. <laughs> so, you know, you, which is like- But he doesn't want that here, but he does want it, but he doesn't want it. Right, right. And so it's mandated um, by the Mexican government because in the late nineties, uh, there was just so much voter fraud and it was actually perpetuated by the Mexican government by a certain political party. They had like an, you know, crazy voter turnout. I think something like in the 70, 70 something percent in the early nineties. And a large part of it was, uh, you know, voter impersonation, probably ballot harvesting, et cetera. And so they implemented this voter ID law and you have to have the voter ID and in order to get the voter ID, I call it, a, it's just another paper hurdle, right? So in order to get that voter ID, you have to show um, a birth certificate, the original or a certified copy. You have to have another government photo ID and you have to show proof of dress. These are all hurdles, you know, in front of voting. And it's, we already have driver's license here. Why would we need another card? <laughs> my, I told my husband this story. He said, you know, I can't even keep a hold of my driver's license. <laughs> I kind of keep a hold of this thing. And well, so I love he, the fact that he doesn't want any federal oversight of elections. Um, and at the same time, he's touting the terrific, um, you know, federal oversight of elections in Mexico. Right. And, and so what happened was um, Mexican nationals living abroad weren't voting. And in 2018, they wanted a big push for people to vote. And so they allowed them to apply for these cards. And, and I believe this was probably a woman living um, in Indiana who had this card that she had applied for. It takes four weeks after they get your application for you to get the card. So again, we're, we're increasing the time, right? And your accessibility to vote. And so that's what this voter ID card is. And he, you know, just, he, he's so, he's always 
always doing this disparaging other countries, other, other people, non-white people. And so he says, you know, that Mexico is a third world country, you know, again, uh, just semantics uh, that's rooted in the cold war. Uh, Mexico actually has I, the um, 16th uh, largest economy or, or for the GDP. It's not that third world, but regions are third world. And, you know, it's just, it's just him making an example and not really telling all the facts, just like um, he put on testimony that in 2008, when Indiana implemented its voter ID law that we had an increased amount of turnout because people were confident with um, using voter ID. That confidence is not a metric that you can capture. Actually, Indiana increased with like around 5%, the same as the national average for 2008 elections. What Todd doesn't tell you is that in 2012, we started to backslide again in voter participation. In 2014, Indiana was arguably last in the country yeah, for great. its voter turnout. Yeah. So, so much for, the, for voter ID, right? Yeah. But yeah, he's, so not gonna, he's not gonna tell you that. Right. Right. So let's talk about other parts of the um, of the bill as well. So um, the dark money. Um, this is an interesting area because, uh, you know, Republicans are now saying, oh, no, it, you know, if you expect people to be accountable for the money that they are putting into uh, disinformation, etc. Well, that's, you know, a violation of your free speech and that's cancel culture. Um, but, uh, you know, you and I know that, you know, uh, our First Amendment uh, speech rights are regulated um, fairly well. Um, you know, commercial speech is well regulated, requiring truth, right? And because the state uh, or the Supreme Court has found a, a state interest uh, in public safety uh, to support that. Uh, political speech, of course, is, you know, the most protected speech. And it is more of a gray area, um, you know, uh, superlative speech and uh, all of that that is allowed. But this notion that you should be able to put out absolute lies um, and have no accountability for it is just, uh, you know, it's of course something that no one back in, you know, the 1700s contemplated. This notion that you could go onto the airwaves and then frankly that other countries could go onto your airways and create complete havoc um, with misinformation. So, um, so tell us, tell us your take on that part of it. Well, I think it's really interesting that we don't have a way to figure out um, when our foreign adversaries are trying to influence our elections through these packs and these ads that we can't run down, right? Right. Uh, yeah. And so. Uh, there was an effort, I believe, like in 2014 called the Disclose Act. There, before that, there was the McCain-Feingold bill that um, put limits on the amount that you could con um, contribute to kind of shore up this contaminated money. And then in 2014, they had the Disclose Act where you'd have to disclose where the, the money was coming from, and um, it didn't have Republican support. Surprise. <laughs> right, right, right. And there are some great documentaries out there about, about dark money. I think one's called dark money and it's kind oh, yeah. of scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and more things, you know, um, you know, what is really just, um, I don't know, irritating, I guess I will say, um, about what happens uh, when we talk about these bills is the disinformation about the bill. 
Um, so the term uh, ballot harvesting has been brought up. And of course, um, you know, Rokita, along with other Republican uh, senators, are putting out there this notion that um, this Senate Bill 1 would allow um, ballot harvesting. Uh, and so, in fact, um, there was a case in, Vir I think it was Virginia, somewhere in the Southeast, where a Republican uh, operative uh, was convicted of ballot harvesting. But that's when he created ballots and turned them in. Um, what this bill addresses is the ability of uh, family members and other people to collect signed, sealed ballots of absentee ballot voters and deliver them. So tell us more about that. So ballot harvesting is a, a loaded term. Um, the technical term is just ballot collection. And some states already allow third parties to do that. And this bill would, would allow third parties to, to take people's ballots in. So, you know, I could take my elderly neighbor's ballot in for her. Um, but in some states, like you've mentioned in Republican um, led states, we're seeing legislation where that is not allowed. Um, I believe in one state it, it's criminalized. You know, in Georgia, we see giving water to voters in line um, that's going to be a criminal behavior. And so that's the, the ballot harvesting piece. So Ted Cruz said, Senator Cruz stated that there was just going to be all this ballot harvesting. And that just leads people to believe that ballots are being made up, you know, that there's something nefarious conduct going on. And it's really just expanding people taking other people's ballots to the drop box, um, et cetera. And so there were a couple of things I, I can highlight that they discussed that, were, that weren't true other than we've, we've hit ballot harvesting. Um, uh, we haven't talked about um, undocumented immigrants. Um, so Ted Cruz said that this was gonna allow millions of what he calls illegal aliens um, to vote. Okay, it's already illegal for non-citizens to vote. And Michigan counters that they um, had a six-step process when it, when it came to automatic registration that prevented non-citizens from being registered. Ted Cruz wants you to believe that if you get welfare benefits or if you attend a public university, et, et cetera, you're going to automatically be registered to vote. And, you know, uh, AG Rakita seconds this. Not true. Also, something else that they said, uh, you know, always a war with words. So <laughs> Senator Cruz gets up there and says, murderers are gonna be able to vote. Child molesters are gonna be able to vote. What uh, Senate Bill 1 does is it allows convicted felons once released from prison to vote. Guess what? The yeah. state of Indiana already does that. Right. Uh, we actually have a pretty liberal law in that way. So, so once you get out of prison, you're allowed to vote. Um, and guess what? You may have been a child molester. It's unfor I mean, it's unfortunate that that crime took place, but that those people are already allowed to vote once they leave the facility. Um, other states may have stricter laws, uh, you know, like you have to get off probation, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, AG Rakita tries to bring in the legal element and he says, this is going to give a, pride of, a private right of action to felons to sue if you don't let them vote. And it's, you know, I laugh because my attorney general background, when I was a deputy attorney general, um, I represented the Department of Correction. 
and um, you know, still abiding by attorney ethics, I can tell you at least what our docket looks like uh, in the state of Indiana in our two federal courts. And so for the Southern District of Indiana, it's largely clogged with prisoner litigation, uh, primarily 1983 civil actions where prisoners are suing the, the department individuals or the state um, for things that they believe um, harm being done to them much of the time just perceived harm uh, in the facilities. And so it just makes me laugh. <laughs> that yeah, that would be a new thing. As if, yeah, prisoners suing the state would be- He's worried, you know, that this yeah. could happen um, when it's not even really possible in the state of Indiana because it already aligns with our law. And he's, you know, his clients already largely clogged our federal district court anyway. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit more um, about the state laws. We've mentioned a couple, and I think a lot of people are familiar with the laws that have been enacted in Georgia, um, you know, you know, creating big long lines and then making it a crime to give someone who has to stand in that line for five hours a bottle of water. Um, but in Indiana, we have some that are coming, you know, through the system. Uh, nothing's been signed yet, um, but we have several that are out there. Um, one that really concerns me is the, um, uh, the creation of the ability of the legislature to override election boards. Um, and so that's a little frightening to me because we saw that in the 2020 election, um, you know, there, were, there was this call from Trump to legislators at the state level to throw out the election board's results, the certified election results. Uh, and they, they said, you know, if only the legislatures could have control over that, then Trump would win. And, and as we know in Indiana, we have this supermajority Republican uh, legislature. If that was us uh, and legislatures were allowed to throw out the election results certified by the Board of Elections, we would, you know, who knows what would happen? Um, well, we know what would have happened in 2020 for sure. Um, and so now in Indiana, we're, you know, we're looking at uh, that kind of a bill coming through the legislature. So, um, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with, uh, with that. We didn't talk about that. But, um, but these are the things um, that really uh, just I have to inspire people to get out and call their uh, federal legislative representatives and make sure that they pass this federal bill to right. protect our votes. Uh, these are the kind of things that are coming up. Uh, and that we're going to face. So, okay. So, and I don't want to cut you short, but we are almost out of time. And I want to give you a moment to give us some parting words of wisdom on all of this. Well, you're going to ask me this again. <laughs> well, I think you, you said it perfectly, you know, that, um, that we need to, to contact our, our federal legislators and, and say how much, um, how invested we are in wanting to see, see this bill passed um, you know, and, and call out the, the fallacies that our attorney general promotes. Um, you know, whenever uh, your state AG is tag teaming with Senator Ted Cruz, it's just not good. You know, they, they I, we didn't mention it before, and I just want to slip it in there that um, Senator Cruz said that prisoners, well, not prisoners, but con, uh, federal convicts, uh, they vote for Democrats. Right. They vote for Democrats more often. And 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 A.G. Rakita said, yes, let's think about that. Right. So we already said that Indiana has a very 
liberal law as far as federal convicts getting being able to vote once they leave the facility. So if if they voted for Democrats, where are they in Indiana? <laughs> right, right. They don't that's seem to be having true. much of an impact here. Right, right. It's, and you know, we didn't even talk true. about redistricting. <laughs> we didn't even talk about gerrymandering and redistricting, which is also covered in the bill. Uh, and of course, in Indiana, Indiana is one of the worst states for allowing just complete uh, discretion by the party and majority in the state house to draw whatever map they want, as long as it's contiguous, uh, as long as the districts are contiguous, um, and otherwise, and many other states have many other restrictions. But uh, we're not going to. Who knows what we're going to see in Indiana? So, AG anyway, sorry. said that should be left in the politicians' hands, not an impartial judge. Let the people decide at the at the polls. It's just like it's. It's, <laughs> yes, it's the epitome right? of circularity, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you so much, Destiny. We are definitely going to do this again. There's so much to talk about, and I really appreciate your making time to come and talk with me. Thank you. I I just like chatting with another another woman lawyer. These are yep. always great conversations. They are. They are. All right. So long until next time. <laughs>